Driving the Future is a podcast about where the automotive industry is going and how not only to keep up with the rapidly changing business, but to shape it. Fueled by such factors as the climate crisis and the digital revolution, the automotive industry is changing. Mobility service offerings have become more and more central to many OEM strategies, and this has implications in far-reaching and sometimes unexpected ways. In a recent episode of Future Sight, a podcast by Capgemini and Venn, we talked with several mobility service experts to discover how car sharing can affect not only a customer's experience, but also shape the character of the city the customer lives in. One of the guests, Bodil Erickson, was the CEO at Volvo Car Mobility, NM. She has since retired, but her insights, as well as the insights of the other guests, are still very relevant. I think you'll find them interesting, and so this week I'd like to share it with you on Driving the Future. So with no further ado, here's that episode of Future Sight. Welcome to Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Ollie Judge. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future of business. This episode, we're going to take an extended look into a subject that goes further than you would think it did on the surface, car sharing. With the help of a few experts from M from Volvo Car Mobility and Capgemini Invent, we're going to have a look at how a car sharing product changed the way Stockholm was able to think about the space in their city and what the future of sustainability may look like. But first, it's worth having a quick refresher on what car sharing is and what the current state of the industry is. Well, car sharing is, is uh, first and foremost, I think, a way of reducing consumption or providing access to cars to people who don't necessarily have the funding or the desire to actually own a car. Or from the reducing or consumption perspective, people who feel for whatever different reasons, whether it's financial or environmental, that they want to have access to a car rather than actually owning one, then car sharing serves that purpose. I'm Stena Danielson. I am sustainability lead at Volvo Car Mobility. There's a couple of different models in, in car sharing, and I think some of those are fundamentally different and have fundamentally different effects on both the customer experience and also the city with which they are operating. And I think that those two differences is the free-floating model, where cars are just placed around the city at, at random places and, and left and picked up and left by customers as and where they desire. And the more station-based model, where you have got specific stations where you pick a car up and, and, and drop it off. Both of these are important approaches to understand because they affect how sustainable a car sharing service can be, but also how well they integrate into a city. We're still very early on in what car sharing can be, though. I think actually we are still in a very early phase of shared mobility and car sharing. I am Bodil Eriksson and I am the CEO of Volvo Car Mobility and M. A lot of what we have seen in terms of concept has been in the free-floating segment and very little innovation have been brought into other car sharing concepts that actually mimics more the behavior around owning your own car. So the free-floating concepts, in a way, are more like the A to B trips, the typical short trips, which in turn are close to the public transport opportunities or could be an alternative to public transport. But the um, innovation in terms of really bringing novelty to the car-sharing concepts, I think we have seen quite little of. 
So now we have a good understanding of what car sharing is and the opportunities it opens up. Let's introduce M. The product, Bottle and Steiner are behind. I think the wonderful thing with AIM was the way we were able to start. And we started with an absolutely clean sheet of paper and we didn't look for quick go-to-market strategies, but we were looking at doing the right thing. So we zoomed out, we focused on the long-term trends, what will impact society in, say, 10, 15 years. And we leaned towards those trends, which we all know about. It's urbanization, it's digitalization, it's climate change. But we realized that there was something like really personal and close to us impacting the way we wanted to go about mobility. And we asked ourselves, what is mobility really? And came to the answer that it's it's really all about our lives and the lives we choose to set up around ourselves. Your partners, your children, maybe your old parents, the dogs and the horses, your everyday chores and the time when you're free to do whatever you like, so your hobbies and so forth. We started to think like that. We wanted to have a real go at finding a concept that was so good that you actually could consider to making it an exchange or an alternative to your private ownership. The thing that struck us the most in the beginning, in the early days, was actually how poor many of the other services were. We felt that there is no way we will be successful unless we understand what a really good customer experience is. And and obviously, it's not about the cars. It's about all that journey you, as a user, has to go through before you are behind the wheel of a car. So mapping out the customer journey of a shared service and truly understanding what use cases we were to solve, we actually believe that we have been quite fast in doing it. But one of the the really big insights and early insights were that we need to own our tech stack. We need to be vertically integrated because it all sits there. So using third-party software will not take us where we want to be because We need to learn from our users and we need to be able to adopt to the way they understand or not understand our service. And that, I believe, is what has rendered the very good customer experience score and ratings. One such thing was the the very notion of that the cars were so much in the center. So it was all about being a booking site and then get access and use the cars. But when actually being a user yourself, you realize that one of the huge hurdles and pain points is the wayfinding, is actually getting to your car and finding your car. So when you own a car, you know where you last parked it or you you know your garage and so forth. But wayfinding in an access service in new places, in new cities, in, in new neighborhoods and so forth, That was something that the other services simply hadn't uh, caught. So that was just a blank. And we put a lot of times in in our app, uh, take photos of the way how you enter a garage, where your pin code is to be entered, and and all of these details, helping the, the user to feel safe. And we realized that there was a lot of inconvenience and also you actually stopped using the service if that felt too awkward. Emma started in Stockholm, a city with its own set of unique quirks and features. 
we choose Stockholm because we thought it was a good size, a size that we will meet in the future when going international. Also here, we had an infrastructure in place that allowed us to be present with with the scale of our service from the get-go. When we started, we had a, a number of hypotheses, like more value-driven hypotheses that we leaned on and that we believed a lot in. And one was that the early versions of the free floating would not be sustainable, partly because cities would not allow it. Because when we met mayors in large American cities, they all spoke about the huge pressure that the free floating services put on the cities when they came with cars in thousands into the cities to serve the local inhabitants of uh, you know Boston and what what have you so we really believed that that was not a credible future because if traffic is already a burden to a city then adding another thousands of cars is not a solution it's it's actually adding to the burden but then that was a fuel for us when we started to develop our, our tech stack, which led us in a very, very different direction to what most concepts have as a, as a core solution. And that is the choice of not providing or not developing a booking site, but a platform and tech stack that actually understands intent So now we have captured millions of intents where people actually would like to pick up a a car or where they want to go. So we understand how the footprint should be. It's not just us putting out cars. It's it's actually creating the right footprint to start with, which, of course, makes us a really interesting partner for cities and developers to understand the the patterns of, of traffic and the patterns of demand. Car sharing has implications not only for the way people get around in our cities, but also for the way in which we use the space in them, and sometimes in quite unexpected ways. More shared cars means fewer cars overall, so space that was needed for things like parking can now be used for other purposes. That could be offices or shops, or it could mean more green infrastructure to help capture CO2. In short, it opens up new opportunities for city planning. So over the last hundred years, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised to see that we've really, our cities has been dominated by the requirements that automobiles have placed on that infrastructure. But one of the surprising facts that was done of Fastietz Erger, a, a report that came out just before our report came out, they found that looking at Sweden, we give around 45 square meters of space to an individual person living space on an average per capita. But if you're looking at our cars and the, the space that the cars takes up within Sweden, then you're up to 50 square meters. So that is, even in a country which is not as densely populated as some other cities inside of Europe, we're still giving over more space to our cars and the infrastructure around that than we are to our living spaces. And that, I think, is not only that that's shocking, it just needs to change. One of the things that we have seen is that you can't just throw car sharing into any city and expect it to work. You need to be able to have what what we've termed as or identified as a progressive city. And one of those elements of a progressive city is that it needs to have a multimodal public transport system. And I'm saying that the public transport system needs to have 
a variety of different solutions within it. So not just all on, on, on a tube or a, uh, you know, a bus system. It needs to have, like I said, in, for example, inside Stockholm, you've got tubes, you've got buses, you've got trams, you've got boats as well. And that needs to be at the core of the public transport system. When you have that, then it becomes pretty obvious that people just don't need to use a private car. And in fact, we can see that people, if you're living in a central urban area of that, don't need to use a car because there are just much better options, cheaper, faster options to get around the city. And when you get to that point, then you really start questioning the amount of space that these you know, privately owned cars are, are taking up on the city streets, not only from a city perspective, but also from an individual, from my as a, as a consumer's perspective, I'm paying you know, a lot of money for this hunk of metal to just stand still 95% of its time where we need to work together with cities much more. So when we have identified one of these progressive cities, then we need to work very closely together with not only the city officials themselves, but also secure that they are able to enable the right kind of policies that can encourage their car sharing, but also work very much together with the real estate sector because the real estate sector is, is core when you know reimagining or redeveloping the city. So when we're doing that, as I say, this space that our, our service is created within Stockholm now over the last year is more looking at the potential that we have within the city itself rather than you know looking out the window and say automatically wow all of this space has disappeared it's about looking at the potential of that spaces and working together with both the cities and the the real estate sector to secure that we don't make the same mistakes again we start to build for shared mobility and we build it out in the right way we are the largest in Sweden at the moment, and we are seeing a, a lot of competitors coming into the market, and we celebrate that because then that pushes the expectation of a customer to be able to deliver on what we say as a, as a fluid expectation. I want my experience to be as good as possible. So if there's more competitors on markets, then the, you know, the customer experience from all is needs to be you know heightened. And that's one of the things as well as that we've focused hugely on is really understanding that with car sharing that the customer experience wasn't that great. It was mainly done out of an operational perspective, possibly, just because it's technically possible to put cars out there in, in the street and share them. By focusing on the customer experience, we can really elevate that experience to be something you can build around for the future. By combining this customer experience with a proprietary backend, Emma was able to really understand how people were moving around Stockholm and begin to work outside just offering cars. And so much has happened with technology in only the past years where the AI-enabled technology that we now have in our platform really helps us to understand how this concept and this um, business can be run in such a way that we can optimize towards the sustainability targets that we want to achieve. So it really all ladders up, but it would not be able for us to do that unless we had developed the technology in the way we, we have. Today, still a lot of uh, most concepts are about showing your supply. So you go into an app and you see all the supply available with a lot of dots or flags, and then you pick one. But we ask three questions. Where do you want to come? Close to what location? And do you need a specific model? And through those three questions, which are bundled into an intent, we start to understand the true nature of your intent, because we don't know at that point what is most important for you. Is it the model of car? Maybe you are a lot of people and you really need a large car. 
Is it the location? Maybe you have difficulties in walking a long distance, or maybe you don't want to access a garage, you want a streetscape, etc., parking. Or is it the time that is absolutely critical? Maybe we, we can give you an offer on all those three parameters, but it's difficult to do it in the old format. So now, instead, we ask those three questions and our technology and our platform is then providing you with alternatives, the best alternatives. So we do the job. And this was also some of our learnings when I, I gave up my car when I took this job and I have been a very, very um, keen driver and I've always have my own private cars. I love cars and I love driving them, but I gave up my private car to only live with the mobility options available. And I felt it was such a huge struggle to simply get to a car and also that it was too much of a strain on me to solve the fact that I needed a car. And this was a very core parameter we brought into the early development of M. We were really aware of the kind of feeling of that it it can't be hard. You know, we have to make it simple and intuitive. So we put a lot of of work into the the different team working together because the challenge, of course, with car sharing is that there is not one thing that that enables a really flawless experience. It is the combination of the right technology set up in the right way, a user experience articulation that really hits home on the right things. And then it's, it's, it's the physical operation of the cars that they are clean, that they are parked in the right place, that people has returned them. And that, you know, all of that physical, because this is not only a digital service, it comes with a very physical delivery. And having all those nodes working together from the very start, all in one very small room, kind of set the right culture, I would say, for us to collaborate together, finding new solutions on this problem. Hello, I'm Per Holmblad. I'm the Vice President for Automotive at Kapjavna Invent in Sweden and Finland. It became rather clear that, uh, well, people are first and foremost moving into a controlled environment. They want to feel safe. And the private car represented that in a way that public transport didn't. And even people as young as 18 to 24 starting to move to the idea that when I move around, I do that in a car, not by other means. Now, that's quite a big shift. And then, of course, the threshold of buying a car for these groups of people is too high. So coming back to that point of of accessibility, where this type of service can allow you to live your life freer, and still safer. (laughs) And it finds relevance, to my mind, in so many different facets, both in terms of this reactive facet, but also in terms of of other things of where we might live in the city that makes this a, a better choice for you. But it's interesting, I think, that it's the younger population is moving back to the passenger car train of thought. We do see some changed behavior now during the pandemic. I think the important thing is the fundamental uh, change you do when you do not own a car. If I start with talking about the people that has owned a car and now move away from ownership, I think the big aha moment is that you start to think about what is the best transport mode. And that was something I never did 
my car was the default mode, which I think a lot of people, that's where they are. This is also something that we see that people change so much their behavior when they no longer have their car of their own. So more than they state when we ask them and also what we have validated in, in the sustainability report, they reduce as much as more than 40% of their total distance driven because they start to think, should I take a car or no, maybe the bus is easier or you know, you start to reflect a little bit. And that, I think, is something which is tremendously important when we talk about cities and how cities need to change for the future. Indeed. And it becomes, I believe, the, shall we say, the cost transparency of using a service brings you back into, shall we say, very rational and logical thinking about resource usage. And essentially, that's the bottom pillar or the foundation on which sustainable living and sustainable thought is founded and rests on. And even uh, I mean, if you, as you start to use service that actually works, you start to re-examine or re-evaluate some of those other sort of forgiven choices or given choices you made before of owning a car, where in the customer survey that uh, that we did together, we found that 26% of the people that use your service frequently actually get rid of the car that they have. And even more than that, 51%, over 50% of the people who use your service actually say that, no, I won't buy a car again. That radical mindset that you talk about, that shift, it's proving to happen for real with people in their daily choices, which I believe is, is, is super inspiring because as you extrapolate that, from your personal life into how people perhaps relate to mobility at work. You can really get some leverage on this and you can really improve the resource utilization in society. Car sharing isn't just for families and individuals to get around the city. There's a big market for business too. And just like personal transport, it offers businesses benefits outside of what you might expect. We have great corporate customers and they join us because they are progressive companies. They are companies that understands both that their employees want the company to choose, make mindful, important decisions in terms of how, how you use resources. I also know for a fact that a lot of our services or our companies we work with have started to question old habits. Why should we keep a lot of cars on our balance sheet? Doesn't make sense at all. Why do we keep staff, we, even departments that are taking care of cars when cars are not our core competence? So that's not what we do. So just using access services is something that speaks volumes to both convenience for your employees, but also to the financial aspects and not the least, to talk about your sustainability commitment and that you are looking for other solutions. And I suppose it's also an important part for the culture building within these companies that many organizations look for a boost of relevance and purpose. And, and I see that all over with clients that I work with, sort of taking the step from language to action is crucial for this to actually mean something and using and and be part of this mobility movement and sustainability around movement around it 
can be a bit of the proof of the pudding in the pudding, you know. Put your money where your mouth is and and and, and you, you get some credibility. By doing that, uh, also get people that start to be fundamentally caring about the things that will keep these enterprises relevant to their own customers. It's, it's being part of that movement that I find to be so inspiring and interesting and see how businesses can pull together and and, and use this type of service that you offer and perhaps not only see it as their own purchase, but rather get together in their business parks or whatnot where they coexist to work together with, with partners like yourself. I think we have quite a broad range of um, partners and, and customers in the, in the business field. I think what is very exciting are the, the many customers and partners we have in the real estate area because they are impacting and they are drawing our new cities and our new uh, ways of designing cities. And there has been very little or few alternatives for them to really shift this focus on cars. And still we are, when we enter into strategic partnership with uh, many of them, they still are on the drawing board putting in huge parking garages with maybe seven, 800 parking spaces. And we say we can serve this area with maybe a few hundred, maybe 200, maybe less. So we can kind of add a lot of actual knowledge and data to proving that the future can indeed look different. As the benefits of M started to change the people's approach to transport, there are a few surprising side effects that started to take hold too. With the reduced number of vehicles on the streets, the amount of CO2 pumped into the atmosphere also decreased. And fewer cars mean fewer car washes, so there are also benefits in terms of water resource. So with all of these benefits that car sharing can bring into a city, it's important to look to the future and begin to look at how car sharing can help shape future plans. We are already to saying that when we're talking to the, the real estate sector, we can be a viable tool which they're able to build around. So they don't need, at the moment, there are policies and laws in place that require that a company builds X amount of parking spots, depending on where their building is situated and how many people are going to be living in it. It's called Pietal in Sweden. That is very archaic. You know, it was good at the beginning because it was an, an understanding that you need to be able to provide the right level of mobility for the people that are going to be living or working in the building you're creating. But now we're into the 2020 and there are so many more different options to be able to take you and move you around the city, but still the real estate sector is still being held on to you know, being forced to build a certain amount of building spots. So there we've got a thing that if we can become an element, which means that we can change how our infrastructure, the future infrastructure of the cities is being built, that we can secure that we're going to have much more sustainable and healthy cities in, in the long run. We are, are all a victim of the circumstance we're all in. So you only operate within the we can say that the confines of the the framework that you are existing in with the city, whether that's the city you're living in or the house you're living in or whatever it is. So if you've got the right infrastructure around you and the right services around you, then you can make that behavioral change. Rolling out an initiative like M is a monumental task. So I wanted to find out from our guests what they thought was key in building their solutions. Well, first and foremost, about monitoring, listening and, and understanding your customer and understanding how your customer is using the service and then setting your service then in a the context of you know the wider ecosystem. 
Volvo Car Mobility was very much founded from a, you know, had sustainability at the core of, of our um, foundation. We were founded on a sustainable business model and, and so sustainability has been focused for us from day one. So we've always looked at trying to build a fantastic customer experience whilst at the same time being fully aware that we are as being part of the access economy, also responsible for providing a viable solution for behavioral change. So sometimes we we hear a lot, for example, that our customers want us to be able to provide an A to B service, which is at the moment within our service, you have to pick a car up from one station and then you drive it around and then you drop it back off at the same station. That has been put in place for very specific reasons. And that is first and foremost, because it mirrors private car ownership. But also, actually, when you look at it's it's a perceived idea that, yeah, I want to be able to pick the car up and drop it off somewhere else. But what that does, it does have negative connotations on the city because then you're going towards where the request is for the cars in the morning, then shift the cars shift to another area in the evening, and then we would have to spend time and energy moving those cars back to where they're needed again, increasing the amount of CO2 that's being produced in cars driving around in the city. By saying that you need to do, uh, you know, pick the car up and drop it off at the same station, we can secure that we're not overloading the city. But also, when we actually asked our customers, okay, we understand that that's something you would like to do, but when would you like to do it? Then they can. There is very few times where they would actually work because if you're going to be, as I say, using a car in car sharing in the right way if we're saying rather than using car in a bad way, then you want to be able to drive somewhere, and then of course you've got to go home. There are user cases where it would make sense to be able to, you know, drive a car to a destination and leave it there and then pick it up a couple of days later. For example, if you're going, you know, going to an airport or if you're going to a golf course or something and you're going away for four hours. And and we're starting to look into that. So how but we we are still looking at that within a perspective which is what we are calling A to B trips within an A to A focus, if you see what I mean. What we've done at least is we've really set the behavioral change of our customer customers monitored that but also set certain gates inside our service which we don't shift on this is what we don't do because we know if we do that if we allow our customers to do that it's going to have a negative effect on on, on the environment and, and the city around us as well through all of this we were interested in how bottle led from the top and how her perspectives changed as she a self-confessed car fan changed her own habits to match the service she was building I can honestly say that I have changed my leadership and my view on my leadership 100%. I think what I have kept and why I think it had worked really uh, quite well is that I have always been a leader of more of a visionary kind. I engage through vision. I have always been driven by consumer-oriented development and improving the services and products for consumers. And that has been a, a really great way of to lead this team. Obviously, I'm not a developer and I don't know anything about software or I didn't know anything about software. I have been in a huge educating curve <laughs> for the past uh, three and a half years, but that was not my strength or my background. But I think it always it's always true that people make the difference and if you invest in really finding competent people they will do the job i think that this phase of you know micromanaging or the the leader having the answer that's that's past that is not the the way to go for the future and 
it doesn't work in this company for sure. So I think this has been an, a very, very interesting and humbling uh, journey for me too, realizing that that you can lead, you have to be able to lead in in a different way from you know a large corporation way of leading. Thank you to our guests, Bodel, Steiner and Per. You can find a link to the report that Capgemini Invent and Volvo put together in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. A big thank you to the FutureSight team and to all the guests. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe to FutureSight on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now, and we'll be back in the new year with more episodes of Driving the Future, a podcast by Capgemini.